You're listening to Branch Out by Sycamore. When they come with a list of questions, they put a lot of thought on that. They know we don't have enough time to answer all of them, but their hopes are high for us to, to answer those. And, and try to understand their perspective too, because some patients are just simply disappointed by other practitioners that they have seen. And you just have to understand where they come from and try to understand how you can help them. I'm Larson Hicks, CEO of Sycamore. And welcome to Branch Out, where I chat with healthcare professionals about broad-reaching topics like their careers in medicine, hobbies and pursuits outside the hospital, and everything in between. Hello, and welcome to the Branch Outs uh, podcast with Sycamore. I am a Sycamore CEO, Larson Hicks, and I'm excited to have you here with us today. Uh, we've got a guest, uh, Dr. Diana Gernita is a board-certified rheumatologist, and she has a, a rich background in clinical research and practice. Um, she's she's worked in transplant, immunology, cardiology, rheumatology. Um, so we're excited to hear about all of that. Um, we're especially interested in her um, her work in the direct primary care rheumatology space, which is something I'm fascinated to learn about. Um, she's she started a company and and has expanded into uh, several states and um, and is doing a, a number of other things. So we're excited to have you on the podcast with us today, Dr. Gernita, and um, and welcome. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, second, yeah. um, it's a pleasure to share with you my journey in um, in my hope to inspire other physicians to to try new things for for their career. Yes. That's great. Well, that's what we're about. So if you're just joining us and 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 I, I feel like it's always good to kind of set the stage. You know, Sycamore, the reason we do this podcast is we're uh, Sycamore Independent Physicians. We're really interested in seeing physicians branch out. Uh, we're, we're interested in seeing physicians look for ways to expand uh, their practice um, outside of the traditional kind of nine to five standard structures. And we feel like Healthcare uh, as a industry, as a as a system, is is in in pretty bad shape, frankly, um, and and is is desperately in need of of change and improvement. And um, we we believe that 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 change is going to uh, be good if it's led by physicians, and if it's if it's not, then it's probably going to be worse. <laughs> so. So we're really excited to see physicians who are taking ownership of of healthcare, um, you know, from a from a business and a and a um, systemic kind of standpoint. So, so that's really uh, why we do this show, and we're hoping that as people hear your story, that maybe somebody will be inspired to follow your example and go do something uh, themselves. So. Let's 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 go back, um, if you don't mind, just to kind of set the stage here. Would you mind telling us how uh, how you got into into medicine in the first place? What what was it that kind of drove you to become a physician? So first of all, um, none of my uh, you know none of my none of the people in my family were physicians. I had a, a godparent okay. that was a physician. And I remember him as a child uh, being um, in a position to be loved and respected by many people. Um, 
At one point in my life, I was admitted in the hospital with a severe liver disease. And um, being admitted in the hospital, I think I was around 12 years of my age, I realized um, how wonderful this profession is. Um, I respected the the doctors that treated me, and I respected the team of people that treated me. Doctors, nurses, they were all around me as a patient, and looking at them, how much work they put in to serve me, I dreamed that one day I could serve back to, to other patients. So that was the calling when I was really young. And then when I was in high school, although I look into other uh, possibilities, medicine remained my top priority. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting how many, um, I feel like that's a, that's a common theme is um, you, you do see folks who get into it because of family, but, but it's not, it's not, family and uh i think people are inspired by the impact that they see other physicians making uh, in people's lives and uh whether it's family or it's or it's an experience like yours i think i think people people feel um yeah feel drawn to to that that calling you, you use the word calling do you do you view i i think uh you know all physicians kind of have a slightly different way of thinking about what they do but but do you view it it sounds like you view it as a calling why why do you why do you use that language? I think um, uh, some of us, we, we, we know what we have to do in life. And I think that for most of us, we want to make an impact. Um, yeah. You know, the, the physicians that I met along the way, I think they were very passionate people about serving and about helping patients. Um I never had an experience where I saw a physician just be driven by uh, the financial reasons. Um, there might be, but the, the the people that I know, the physicians that I know, they have this mm-hmm. calling in helping people and uh, really doing the job that they prepare so many years because right. it's a long, right. long um a time that you spend in training to get to what you want to get. But when you get there, sometimes you realize that it's not always about what you want to do. It's about what you are told to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I think yeah. that most yeah. of our colleagues, physicians, they do feel trapped in this current system to to do not only what they like to do, but also what they need to do. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and it's something that, that comes up a lot here on this, on this show. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not the primary reason for this show because the audience is, is mostly physicians. And I think most physicians understand exactly what you're talking about. But I will say that, that one of the kind of side, um, benefits of this podcast is we, we have a lot of folks who listen, who, who don't know medicine, who aren't physicians and who, who hear every week, you know, hear about, you know, the, the kind of, uh, underbelly of, of, of medicine and, and the fact that, that so many physicians feel, uh, trapped, um, and feel, um, like they're, they're doing, uh, they're not doing what they feel called to. They're not, they're not able to practice medicine, 
in a way that that um, they think aligns with with the calling, you know, that they that they feel like they have to care for patients. And so um, and so it sounds like that was so you you decide you want to be a physician that kind of came from the inspiration uh, being a patient. Tell tell me about the the process of of kind of honing in on on rheumatology because you're that's really your well it sounds like you've 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 had a lot of different research roles and and a lot of different um uh so so tell us that journey just kind of how did you land where you where you have yes uh, when I graduated medical school in Romania um, you know we have a system that you have to uh, pass a national exam, and then you have to qualify for a certain specialty based on your score. So the higher the score, the higher the probability that you're going to get the specialty that you get, that you want, actually. Okay. And um, at that point, um, I wanted to save lives, and I wanted to be a cardiologist. So that's how I uh, choose cardiology. Okay. Um, yeah. And I started to practice, um, you know, I started to be a medical resident in cardiology. And along the way, I realized Mm -hmm. that just doing the clinical job is not fulfilling, completely fulfilling. And I wanted to Mm -hmm. do some sort of research. I wanted to be involved in um, research for patients that had you know, either uh, a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. And what's their, you know, what's their predictive role for needing uh, more interventions after mm. after that kind of event. And um, somehow um, I landed to, to the field of immunology because immunology um, is in everything. Mm. You know, I, at that point I didn't know, right. but then I realized that immunology is connected to so many fields from, um, you know, cardiology to uh, rheumatology to allergy and uh, to transplants. So uh, learning about heart failure, I landed to uh, transplant immunology. And that's how I completed a PhD in transplant immunology. I came initially in the United States as a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard. And then I moved to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh at that point was the highest or the largest transplant center in the world. And I was very lucky to work with people that um, were so invested in changing the life or predicting the outcome after their transplant for uh, kids that would have a heart transplantation. Um, And after spending about four four years and a half in, in transplantation, I realized that I still missed my communication with patients and my connection with my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was very rewarding to be in the research field. But you always, as a clinician, you always need the other part to, to bring it together. And um, I had to go again through the whole uh, training here. I passed the boards. I went through internal medicine. And during my internal medicine um, uh, training, I was attending a lecture about lupus, you know. And um, I got very interested in that because I saw the connection between cardiology and immunology. And I said, wow, this is Mm. a very, very new specialty. At that point, I didn't know how much 
advance was in rheumatology. And I went after the professor who gave the lecture and I said, um, Dr. Hauk was his name. I would like to, to have a rotation with you. I would like to learn more about rheumatology. And that's how I landed to rheumatology. And after that rotation, I fall in love with that. The fact that you can help the patient bring him from so much pain, so much disability, with all the resources that we have today, bring it to a normal life, that was unseen for me. That that kind of reward was unseen in other specialties. Because in cardiology, sure. you you have your limitations. In transplant, there are limitations. But in rheumatology, I see yeah. that. And I saw at that point that is a huge, huge potential to help patients. That's so cool. My uh, my sister-in-law actually has lupus. And so and, and, you know, we had a real scare. I mean, she had had she'd had uh, allergies and things, food allergies and things for years that they didn't they knew it was an autoimmune thing, but didn't get the diagnosis until she had nephritis, you know, lupus nephritis and, and her kidneys almost completely shut down. So she was, it was a, a scary moment there. Um, but, but I know that, uh, in, in, uh, if, if she had had, you know, this really not that long ago, it, it would have been a fatal, uh, you know, a fatal, um, condition, but it's now treatable. Uh, a lot of great, great treatments out there. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm fascinated. I've always been fascinated by autoimmune and, and this isn't really, um, it's a sort of off script a little bit, but just if you'll indulge my, my, my curiosity, I, one of the things I've heard a lot, um, I'd love to hear what you think. Um, I've heard and, and listened to podcasts and things about the fact that in the third world, there, there is a lot less, um, autoimmune, um, disease and, and, uh, the, the, one of the kind of, <clears throat> maybe this is way overly simplistic, but one of the ways that I've come to understand it is that because our environments are so sanitary and sterilized and we don't have parasites and we don't have, um, bacteria, uh, and we're on antibiotics, you know, our, our immune systems sort of have, have nothing to do, you know? And so they start, they start, the immune system kind of starts freaking out about things like pollen or gluten or things that it shouldn't. Um, and so anyway, that, that, that's kind of a simplistic understanding that, that I've, I've come to just as I've listened to things. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Or is that just total conspiracy theory nonsense? You can set, no, you can set me I straight think here. That- you thought uh, you you brought a very valid point because I educate my patients about all these things. There is a reality that we live mm. here uh, in the you know most civilized world that we have changed our right. environment so much that that started to affect us. Mm. We can have a whole lecture about the importance of gut microbiome and the connection with autoimmunity. Mm and the connection with the immune system. But just to come back to your simplistic ways of, of saying, um, and I teach my patients all, yeah. all the time about that, our gut has 
a barrier. And on top of that barrier, we have all these trillions of bacteria that are supposed to live with us and protect us. And underneath, we have the immune system cells that are vigilant to see what's happening. When we break the barrier here and we break the, the next barrier, our immune system becomes very, very wired. And that will cause a lot of hyperreactivity, you know. Um, the other thing that I teach my patients is that everything that you do uh, from nutrition, exercise, and sleep, and stress will affect your gut and your immune system. And I teach them about the connection between the mind and the gut. And uh, patients are very, very open these days to learn about these things. Um, we in medical field, we are not mm. taught about those things. I had to discover those things myself. And that was because of my mm. curiosity, my research appetite, you know, to discover those things. Yeah. But we should understand and we should start educating patients that, you know, what they do in yeah. everyday's lives will affect them. And what we do from right. taking too much medication or too many antibiotics sanitizing right. excessively everything right. that will actually impact our yes. health and is not always helpful. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that I'm not just totally off on that. So I, I got, I went down this whole rabbit trail and, and just to kind of bring it back to this conversation about the systemic problems in healthcare, I think what, what you're talking about here ties really directly to that because, um, because healthcare has become sick care, and and it's and it's oriented towards um, interventions, you know, pharmaceutical interventions primarily. Um, and and uh, and I, I hate to say it, but you know, you look at the FDA and the CDC and the pharmaceutical companies, and there is kind of this revolving door, it seems, uh, between these company these organizations, and uh, and and it's hard not to to, to look at it and think, you know, how much of the, how much of the, um, standard of care is really driven by people that have somewhat of a stake in, uh, in, in, you know, a vested interest in, in pharmaceutical interventions, whether they, they're inventors of the technologies or they're, um, you know, uh, shareholders or whatever. And, and to, and to come back to this conversation about, about autoimmune diseases and things, I, I went down this, this deep rabbit trail into, uh, uh, worm therapy, you know, parasite therapies and, and, um, and, uh, and even, uh, fecal transplants. Um, my wife thinks I'm very weird for, for having <laughs> spent so much time, um, on these things, but, but I'm just fascinated by, by, uh, these things, these interventions that really are, you know, are, are actually much, much, um, more, uh, accessible, you know, cheaper. Um, uh, are, are you, uh, what, do you utilize any of those kinds of treatments in, in your practice? I am not implementing those kind of treatments in the, the practice. I have heard about uh, stem cell transplantation. I have heard about, you know, different type of therapies. Um, 
I'm a believer in science and I do look up everything, even for supplements that I recommend. I do believe that, you know, our body will respond to simple interventions uh, done in the right order or done under supervision. Um, And even for supplements, I discuss with my patients and I would recommend certain supplements to patients based on the science that I was able to collect and find. There are many things that yeah. are yeah. you know, supposed to help, but um, what I've learned, and I actually went to learn about nutrition, um, I took a course at Stanford University to learn about the science of nutrition and how to look at nutrition studies and how to analyze the science behind it. Because in, in the traditional part of medicine, and especially in, you know, uh, I would say in rheumatology, we don't talk much. We are not taught in the fellowship about this kind of intervention. We are taught about medical intervention right. and definitely how to diagnose someone, right. how to recognize the symptoms, how to diagnose, what are the tools that you can use. But then you are taught how to treat mm-hmm. the patient. In my experience, I've mm-hmm. seen two categories of patients, patients that will respond rapidly to that intervention, even the medical intervention, and patients that mm-hmm. struggle, or they respond initially, but then they right. struggle again and again and again. And right. I wanted to focus my attention on those patients as well. And I also ask my patients that were doing well, why are they doing well? Why do they think they are doing well? And you would be surprised to know that, you know, those patients that were doing well, they have a positive mindset. They believe they will get better. Yeah. So at that point, I realized yeah, how important you. is our brain to uh, regulate our body. And, you know, in rheumatology, we hear a lot about how the disease starts. And usually an autoimmune disease onsets after a very, you know, a very... Um, difficult moment. You know, somebody loses somebody else. Um, uh, Somebody changes the job or loses their job or somebody, um, you know, changes their city. You know, they come, they move from a city to another city. So stressful situations or situations that will uh, cause chronic stress will cause the onset of um, these diseases. And when I look into those kind of, you know, I would say observation in the beginning, I started to dig deeper and I started to uh, look for reasons. How would stress be connected with the immune system? And I was fascinated to hear and to see that there is so much science to back up, to back up those connections. But we, in traditional medicine, we are not taught about those things. So I do believe in the power of the mind and the power of nutrition and definitely sleep and exercise. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, so I've quoted this now on the podcast a couple of times, although I actually looked it up this time. So I've I've misquoted it, I should say, several times. But uh, Hippocrates said it's more important to know what sort what sort of person has a disease than to know what sort of disease a person has and uh and i i i find that profound and uh, profoundly interesting um and uh and i'm sure you see this every day but but you when you see the kind of um 
mentality and the sort of, um, you know, attitude a person has about their, about their disease and about the, the treatments or the, the, um, um, interventions that you're, um, you're prescribing. Um, I, I think the, knowing what kind of person it is and what kind of, uh, and, and it seems like that's maybe if I'm understanding your, your thought process, uh, th- that's as big a part of the job uh, for you as, as, as anything else is trying to help that person get into the right, um, mindset and, and, and to adopt the kind of the, the right, um, attitude is that is, do you feel like that's part of the, the art of, uh, of, of medicine? I believe so. Um, you know, physicians are there to heal not only the body, but also the mind of a person. Mm -hmm. I had Mm -hmm. this situation when patients would come uh, to me and they would say, I'm a lupus patient or I'm a rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. patient. And that bothers me a lot. And at that point, and in many other conversations, I intentionally tell patients that you have a disease, but you are not the disease. You are much more than that disease. And that puts a perspective to the patient that they are so much more than what they experience at that point. Um, And I think that it's, it's extremely important to be there and to understand your patients. But for that, you need time. And in our days, the time that we have with patients in the traditional system is too short. You know, I used to see patients, new patients, for about 15 minutes. The rest of the time would be consumed into, you know, uh, pre-charting, spending time taking uh, notes that are not relevant to me or to the patient, just for the only reason to be able to build a certain, you know, a certain code uh, or a certain CPT code. Um, So that's why I decided to step out of the traditional medical system and do the right thing for my patients, but also for me as a physician. Because Mm -hmm. if I cannot deliver exceptional care because of lack of time, you know, the patient will Mm -hmm. suffer. So that's why I change and probably like you and many others, we step out of the traditional system with this intention to help in the proper way to do our job, to have the time to show the patient that we can deliver exceptional care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting just as, as I think about how our conversation has developed, I, th- I think the thing that you started with was, was a calling to, to healthcare, which I think is important. It's not just a job. You're not a, you're not a, you know, a lever puller in a factory. You know, you, you are a, you, you feel a calling to, to this field, this, this, you know, I would say a sacred um, calling, you know, to, to care for, 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 uh, for people and to, um, and to help them make very, very important decisions, you know, life or death decisions in a lot of cases. So, so there's that piece. And then I think the second piece is you've, you seem to have developed through your, your time, you know, um, all of your education, you've had a lot of education, uh, immunology in, in Romania and then internal medicine and in Cincinnati and, and, uh, fellowship at Harvard and, and, in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, the, 
throughout that time, it sounds like you've developed a very, very healthy uh, level of skepticism and 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 uh, um, a a um, an interest in in really understanding the science and really understanding the data, which I think. Again, if if you view your your job, um, if if you review, if you view the the practice of medicine as a job, um, then then going to school is really just to learn how to do you know just how how to do the job. Um, and if the job is go you know go to an office and crank through patients as quickly as you can and um, and all of that, then then that's the job. Um, and I think some people in healthcare. That's how they look at it. But I think the fact that you you feel a calling to it, you've got a high degree of skepticism about about um, the efficacy of of the the standard the, the standard of care that we're we're providing today, and and this um, view that that it, it, the mindset and um, and it is is a huge part of of healing. Um, then, then it makes sense that that now you've landed in this place where you are question are, are are realizing that if you're going to be able to actually do what you feel called to do, you've got to get outside of this current system. Um, anyway, that was a long way of of summarizing it, but I, but I think it's interesting, you know, to see that if you if all those pieces are in place, then there there really is a logical place to land, which is. I've got to do this differently. So can you tell us about uh, what you're doing now? So, so you're no longer in a traditional rheumatology practice. Um, what are you doing now? So in 2019, I decided to put in place um, a, a company that will help patients and will break geographical barriers and this company name is called Rheumatologist on Call. I started with thinking, how can I break the geographical barriers and use the technology today to give patients access? And that was before yeah. my thoughts about that were before the pandemic, before people were used to telemedicine. But I always believe yeah. that if we can do our banking very comfortably on online, if you can do the shopping online, why can we not right. get to a doctor online when, you know, when you need it, you know, without delaying mm-hmm. the care, without the bottlenecks that exists today in the traditional system, right. when, um, you know, yeah. as a patient, if you want to see a specialist, in my specialty, you have to wait for four to six months to see a specialist. You have to have a referral from the yeah. primary care physician. Otherwise, you don't get in the door. And you have to travel and wait for, you know, uh, at least three, four hours for an appointment. And um, uh, on top of that, you know, when you get there, you don't get the answers that you want. Because the time is too short and the doctor is rush and they have to, they just give you a bunch of labs and they will see you in another four months. So with my company, I wanted to give access to patients um, and avoid all these hassles, avoid the referral system. So patients that they are in need, they got the referral, but they don't have anywhere to go. Or they just want to see another specialist. You know, they've seen one and they are not happy. 
they will be able to find a specialist um, that will be able to help them, doesn't matter where they are. So the purpose of my company was to break geographical barriers and actually use the technology that we have today to give patients the opportunity to access a specialist in the right time. Right. In my specialty, there are uh, there is um, the waiting. The average waiting time is between four and six months wow. to see a rheumatologist. And in that uh, case, you should be on the east coast or on the west coast because of that uh, in those geographical bar- in those geographical areas, you will find most rheumatologists. Right. Many patients do not have access in the right amount of time. And like you mentioned uh, for your sister-in-law, patients that have critical autoimmune diseases like lupus, delaying the care because they don't have access, it could bring them to a very critical point in their life and for their health. Right. So with my company, I wanted to open that um, that possibility and avoid also the bottlenecks that are existing in our days in the traditional medical system, where you as a patient, you cannot access a specialist without a referral from your primary care physician, right. or you cannot, um, you cannot access a specialist if it's not in your network that is, you know, created by your insurance company. And when you access a specialist, the time that you spend with the physician um, is too short. The average time that uh, a traditional uh, physician or a physician in the traditional practice will spend with patients is between 15 minutes for a new patient and seven minutes for a follow-up appointment. So this amount of time is clearly not enough to help the patient or to figure out um, what is going on with the patient. And, you know, what happens in the traditional system, patients will see the specialist and then they get uh, get a bunch of resources or labs or x-rays and then they are seen again in four months or six months. What is happening to the patient in this time when the patient needs you the most? You know, only the patient knows because right. you don't have access to that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. The it's, other, oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. The other thing is that I believe in the direct communication between the patient and the physician, which, again, in the traditional healthcare system, it's 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 almost impossible because you have so many layers between you, the physician, and the patient, and um, that is jeopardizing the, the relationship that you build with uh, with your patients. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I think people don't, I think lay people who aren't in the weeds of, of healthcare don't, don't really appreciate how convoluted um, reimbursement and payment for for healthcare has become and um, and really you know this isn't a this isn't a problem with technology this isn't a problem with you know staffing I mean this really is is a hundred percent about the the weird perverse incentives that um, that this third party payer structure has introduced and and all of the 
yeah, again, the convoluted um, ways that that uh, that this ecosystem has 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 developed, where every there's kickbacks going back and forth between all these different you know uh, people. It's not really between the doctor and 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 anybody. It's really um, more on the administrate you know administrative side and the insurance side and. So anyway, it's a it, it's it's become a mess, and and uh, and we're now in this place where where you've you've got so little time. Um, so so in your in your model now, um, what's the you know what what's the what's the typical? I mean, how, how has that changed for you as a as a physician? I mean, it, it, do you feel like you've accomplished your goal of being able to practice medicine in the way that you feel? Is appropriate for your patients? Are you still you still struggling to 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 solve those problems? Or you feel like this is the main this was the main problem? I think um, the time is a problem, but also education of the patients is a problem as well. Um, because you don't have time, you don't have time to educate patients properly. Right. So the patients, what will do? They will go to Dr. Google and they will discover all kind of things and they will try all kind of things um, in in an effort to basically get better. Yeah. Um, what I do in my practice, I see new patients for one hour. Um, mm. not, doesn't matter uh, <laughs> what. Sometimes yeah. I spend extra hours, not sometimes, many times I spend extra hours to... Um, understand, to go dig through their medical records, take the time to understand what what is going on with them, where mm. are they coming, because when they come to me, they usually have seen at least three, four other people, or I mean physicians, right. and um, usually um, primary care, other specialists, and then they come to rheumatology. So I need that time to understand what it was done for them, how this, this, how their disease evolved for me to be able to help them further. And then when I see them back, I decide how much time I can spend with them. Do I need an hour? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll book an hour for that patient. Do I need just 30 minutes? I'll book 30 minutes, but I never go lower than 30 minutes for a follow-up appointment. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, that, that's incredible. And I mean, these are very complicated um, and, and difficult uh, cases. And, um, and there's, there's really just no way that, that you can get, uh, you know, that you can get the information you need. And, and I think to, to your point earlier, or to instill the kind of confidence, you know, um, that the patient really needs, you know, I, th- I think you made the point that because they're, it takes so long for them to receive treatment, they, they go out and start doing their own research and they may have already figured out or, or think they have figured out what their problem is and what the solution is. And, you know, if your interest is in trying to just get them in and out as quickly as possible, um, you know, you're, you're just going to either disagree or you're going to agree, but but it's going to be over uh, very quickly. And I, and I think what one of the conversations and questions I ask a lot of our guests is what role does skepticism play in in medicine? And it's kind of a loaded question, but the but really what I'm trying to get at when I ask that question is. Um, it, because the role that I think it it has to play is is I think for patients, um, in order for you to really be effective, 
in in treating and caring for a patient, they've got to actually believe in your authority, you know, in, in your competency, in your your under your in, in the fact that you actually have heard and understand what's going on and and are doing the diligence to to treat them uh, appropriately. And and when they feel because I, I've had this experience as a patient so many times. When you feel like you're just in an assembly line, um, it, it's it, it's really easy to to be um, skeptical about what the treatment you're receiving, and, and I think it's hard to feel like, you know, a great example. You know, I I I haven't been to a primary care doctor in a long time, uh, which which I know is not smart, but but the the reason for me was I, I went in and. Just, you know, jab me in the arm, take some blood, send me out within 10 minutes and, oh, your, your, um, your lipids are high. So we're going to put you on a statin, you know, and, and there was never a convert, you know, there's so little conversation about, uh, what other ways can we address this? Is this the best thing for you? You know, uh, do we believe that being on statins for the rest of your life is a good thing? Are there side effects? just so little time to really engage with that. And, and, and I ended up with a sense that my doctor didn't really know uh, what he was talking about, you know? And, uh, and so I'm kind of taking matters into my own hands, which is, which is a dangerous place to be. I have to agree with you. I think that um, the skepticism in our days comes from, again and again, the lack of time that we have with patients, yeah. not the lack of knowledge. Right. Um, the, we have, when you are in the traditional practice or traditional healthcare system, you have to prioritize and you cannot address multiple problems at the same in the same visit, right. which is very bad because the patient comes there with big hopes and the patient comes there for answers. Right. And if it doesn't get the answers, it's normal for them to get outside. So when I started to build my practice, my thought will be to be respectful to the patient, yeah. but also be respected by my patients. And how do you achieve that? By listening to the patient, listening to their needs, their um, their questions, uh, their frustrations, their right. um, their questions. They come from um, from a from from a very deep yeah. you know, thinking. Yeah. It's not like you know when they come and ask you questions. When when they come with a list of questions, they put a lot of thought on that. They know right. we don't have enough time to answer all of them. But their hopes are high for us to to answer those, and and try to understand their perspective too. Because some mm. patients are afraid, uh, some patients are more hopeful, some patients are um, are just simply disappointed by many other people be, be behind. I mean, many other physicians or other practitioners that they have seen, and they have their own experience, and you don't have to just disregard that. You just have to understand where they come from and try to understand how you can help them. Uh, most patients will appreciate listening and most patients will appreciate honest answers. Even on I don't know, it's a good thing for them. Mm -hmm. um, it means yeah. that you, you're going to open the door to research that. I often tell right. my patients, 
maybe this is not the case, but let's think about this or let's think about that. Offer them solutions and offer them exceptional care because patients do not forget about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, it, it, you know, the, the way that I've thought about this, and I know this is kind of an extreme example, but but um, but it, it kind of helps me think about the importance of bedside manner and the importance of listening and the importance of 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 the non, you know, everything outside of the 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 intervention, you know, um, the prescription and everything. Uh, when I think of like a a, a, a healer or a witch doctor, even you know, in in a in another context, um, you know, th- there's a whole ceremony, there's a whole process, there's a there's even a costume, there's there's and, and there's a real elaborate sort of ritual, um, and and I think it's easy to be dismissive of that as being just completely, you know, hokey pokey and and unscientific, but I, but I think what's happening there in its own way, uh, in its own context is, is that, that healer, you know, they may be doing something else beyond the, the kind of ritual, but they're in that ritual, they're establishing credibility. You know, they're, they're helping the patient, um, get to a place where they, they actually believe in what, in, in what's, what's happening. And, and obviously I I don't think that's uh, this, it, it isn't just an act, but I think the, I think the credentials, I think the white, you know, the white coat, the stethoscope, um, you know, it, it, all of that's part of the the um, process of a of a patient building confidence in um, in in the care they're receiving, and and I think there's nothing better than what you just described, you know, the the actual time listening, hearing a doctor say, I don't know. Wow, <laughs> I don't know. I need to research that. You know, I have some ideas, but I need to research that. That's amazing. I I I don't know that I've ever heard that from a doctor. I don't, I don't think that's a common. I think that goes seems to almost go against um, the the way that the doctors are trained to to talk to patients. I think that uh, you know many doctors or many physicians are afraid to say, I don't know, Mm -hmm. because they think that will discredit them in front of the patient. But in my experience, um, in my experience, I think that patients do appreciate honesty and do appreciate your effort to figure out what is going on with them. That's right. Um, It's a process. Autoimmune diseases, they unfold in years. And sometimes you don't see the whole picture or the whole picture is not there, right. you know, to be seen. And I have many patients that will come to me for symptoms that we cannot put together, but I still try to help them. I still try to offer them a solution. Right. Um, and I still try to understand in time. I offer them to come back to revisit the symptoms. And oftentimes what's happening in my field 
the disease unfolds. Mm. So that's why it's important for that patient to know that you are there for them when you when they need you. That's and great. you are there not only to give them a pill, but also to listen to them, yeah. to search with them, to yeah. be part of their journey. Yeah. Because all of us at one point will become patients and all of us, we need that. Yeah. And that's the more right. we know, and that's something that I learned very, very, being very, very young. The more you know, mm. the more you're going to realize that there are so many things that you don't know and yeah. you still have to learn. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I love it. So, so has you started the practice in 2019? I bet that, um, yeah, this is before COVID. I bet that COVID ended up, uh, just your timing probably ended up being very good, uh, with, with kind of, you know, there, there's probably a lot of people that were more interested in a, in a tele, more of a telemedicine kind of solution, uh, for other reasons. Um, did, did you see a, did you see a bump, um, in your, in your, in your practice during those, since, since that yes. time? That's great. Yes. Um, actually, the pandemic made us realize that medicine can happen outside of the medical buildings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that medicine happens, you know, even at home. Yeah. And people realize that during the pandemic, um, telemedicine became a very uh, good solution to address their health problem. Uh, because of the pandemic, there are many people that delay care. And uh, because of delaying care, they ended up with even more health issues. And uh, telemedicine was, you know, initially was not accepted in the traditional system because it was no way to build. Right. But right. after after the pandemic came, when um, there was a law that was passed that um, insurance companies were actually forced into it to pay for this kind of visits, right. patients started to realize that, oh, this is a viable solution. Yeah. This is something that I can trust. This is something that I can use to get to what I need faster. Right. And, um, uh, you know, in a way, I'm happy that that kind of yeah. mentality changed because uh, patients, uh, you know, when you start researching on Internet, you want to see, you know, um, is that doctor true? Is that practice a reality? Right. Is this a scam? Right. You know, uh, these kind of things kind of um, they were pushed away because mm -hmm. of the need was there. Mm -hmm. um, but in our days, what I can tell you after we overcome this pandemic or, you know, we are close to overcome this pandemic, yeah. I can tell you patients got smarter during the pandemic. They realized mm -hmm. that they can get medical care outside of the medical building, outside of the traditional system. And they started to research for them what will be their options, mm -hmm. you know, how to find uh, not only access to care, but also affordable care, transparent right. pricing. Right. They realize they can compare and they can buy medical services that are exceptional for them or there are 
fitting their needs. They don't have to wait for someone to tell them, you know, take this uh, referral and go to that doctor and then you Mm. call the insurance company and then you figure out that doctor cannot see you because he doesn't take new patients or, you know, it can see you, he can see you, let's say in uh, six months, patients got got smarter and they started to research options for them. And that's how many of the patients that I see found me. That's great. Well, I, I agree. And, and I think it's been a great, you know, it's obviously none of us are, you know, wish that this would have happened, but I think there's a silver lining for sure. And, um, and, and it, you know, it was going to take something um, in order to, to sort of, I mean, the technology, uh, you know, the concepts have been around for a very long time. It, it, it's just been correct. It's just been kind of blocked by um, by sort of the powers that be, I guess. And so, um, really thankful there, that, that that happened for that for that there, reason at least. I wanted to say that there are so many roadblocks to do telemedicine and yeah. actually uh, to provide care in this you know, environment. Think about patients from, I mean, think about physicians. We graduate uh, from uh, our training and then we get the license for the state where we are and we practice there in that area. And on top of that, the hospital where you work or the practice that you work, it's going to put you a lot of non-compete clauses in your contract. Mm -hmm. So you cannot see patients outside of that area or, you know, uh, in the area I mean, in the near states right, you know, right. that that you live, and to get a license in other states is such a convoluted process. Yes. And you know, considering that you graduate from uh, a training that is approved here by you know yeah. by boards here, considering right. that you you pass a, a national board exam, yeah. I really don't understand what is with all these you know laws that will restrict you from accessing or from 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 doing your job in multiple states for example right why cannot multiple states have an agreement that if you are in good standards in one state to be in good standards for the others right so for a physician to be able to see patients in other states it's a difficult process and then to keep up with all the requirements that every single medical board from that state has is it's it's a drama and it costs you as a physician a lot of money oh yeah you know so that's the other thing if you don't see the value and if you don't have patience to see from those states there is a waste big amount big chunk of money for for a physician yeah um and this is this is actually in the detriment of patients Mm. and um if we all want to help patients we should make something or should, we should come up with a solution for specialists. And I'm talking about specialists. You know that there are 6,000 rheumatologists in the United States hmm. and half of these specialists are working part-time. So how can you expect these patients in need to be able to see the specialists if you don't leave these specialists the ability to see patients in other states as well. Right. Just just break these geographical barriers right. because patients do need access to specialists. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and uh, you know, I think there's obviously still a lot of work to be done, but I'm, I'm very excited about um, 
physician pioneers like you who are who are going out and and figuring out how to kind of break these barriers down and prove prove that it's it's valuable, prove that it's possible. Um, you know, we still have a long way to go, but it is um, encouraging for sure that that um, that we're starting to really see some progress. I, we had um, Dr. Muto from UberDocs. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Her, yes, I am. I know her very well. Yeah, I love what she's doing. I mean, another great example of of somebody, a physician who's trying to build solutions that that are good for patients, you know, and good for doctors too. Um, so excited to see that, and uh, and looking forward to um, to seeing how things develop with your practice. That, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is, is there anything if somebody wants to check you out, follow you? Um, you know, even uh, inquire about becoming a patient. What, what, uh, what, how, where do people go? So they can research my name, <laughs> Diana Gurnita. They will easily find me on, uh, on Google. Okay. Or they can look up my uh, website. My okay. website name is rheumatologistoncall.com. And I have the same account on uh, social media, on Facebook, Instagram, um, and I have an account on LinkedIn. I also have a YouTube channel to educate patients. Oh. So um, patients should check that out because there is a lot of valuable information. It's all educational information, of uh-huh. course, um, because I believe, I'm a very strong believer in educating the patient sure. to make the patient a partner in, in, in this journey. That's great. Um, and... And just just so if somebody's listening and they're interested, what are you practicing nationwide right now, or or are you limited to particular states? I guess they can find that on your website. I have nine states that I'm practicing right now, wow. and my plan is to expand in others. That's great. That's great. Well, are are you are you familiar? Uh, I'm sure you are with the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact. I am. Yes, okay. I am yeah. familiar with them. Yeah, it's expensive, uh, but it but it is at least a way. <clears throat> in, in our world, uh, we we have doctors who need to get licensed in lots of states, and for us, time is really the biggest challenge because um, we're we're trying to fill, you know, we're trying to to address uh, fairly urgent uh, needs, and so it's it becomes a real um, a real problem when you're trying to get it done quickly. Um, so we found the that that the IMLCC to be a, a helpful resource. Uh, I hope there's new and better ways. There will be new and better ways for physicians to be able to quickly obtain licenses in other states. Um, but, uh, but you know, th- this is where we're at. This is just one more example of, of unnecessary, um, what seems at least to be very unnecessary, uh, barriers in, in healthcare. Um, but, uh, but I, I won't go down that rabbit trail today. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been a ton of fun. Um, Dr. Diana Gernita, um, uh, rheumatologist, check her out on uh, Rheumatologist on Call. Just Google that. You'll find her. And, um, and again, we appreciate the time and, uh, and, and hope that this is going to be helpful for other physicians who are maybe thinking about doing something similar. Thank you so much for the invitation. And... Um I was very honored to be here. You've just listened to Branch Out, a podcast by Sycamore hosted by me, Larson Hicks. 
please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. 